this morning, I want to deputize Calvary Chapel to be peacemakers. This is the thing. I should have done this before, but I didn't. It is not the job of the elders or the leaders of the church to maintain the peace of Calvary Chapel. It's our job to help and lead towards it, but it isn't our job to maintain the peace and the unity of the church. It's our job. It's your job. All of us have a responsibility to intentionally pursue the peace of the church. Clear? All of us have a responsibility to do our part to maintain the fellowship and the peace of the church. So this morning, I deputize you. Back in the days of the old westerns, there'd be a sheriff in town, and when some of them banditos came through and knocked off the bank with some dynamite or something like this, the sheriff would deputize some other people in town, and they'd go off together. Deputies were typically just regular people with a sawed-off, and they would all get together on their Mustangs, and they'd go out to try to deal with this. But it was this act of people with official roles giving responsibility to people without official roles to go and help bring some peace to the town. And I think every member of a church should feel deputized by Jesus to do their part to maintain the peace of the church. Now, what I wanted to do this morning is advocate for all of us to buy one of two books. One is called The Peacemaker by Ken Sand. The other one is called If You Bite and Devour Each Other by Alexander Strouch. And I was going to have pictures up here on here for you. But I want to advocate for each one of us to invest in ourselves to become better peacemakers to make the personal investment in our own character and souls to become better at peacemaking and dealing with conflict in your lives and in your church. Don't wait for somebody else to get better at it. This is one of those things where it will pay dividends if we, each one of us, commit ourselves to growing in this. Because if you're like me, you've probably had some successes with peacemaking in your life and some catastrophic failures with peacemaking in your life. Are you normal people just like me? There's been times where you've had some real successes in helping bring about peace in conflict situations, and there's been times where you've had some catastrophic failures, and it would have been better if you were better at this. Amen? So I deputize you. I encourage you to get one of these two books, The Peacemaker by Ken Sand or Ken Sandy. I don't know how he pronounces it, or If You Bite and Devour Each Other by Alexander Strouch. And I want to encourage you to buy it for yourself in faith with the Lord, saying, I'm making this own investment in my soul. But if that really isn't possible, I will help hook you up. Okay? It's important enough to me that we're all growing in this that I will help hook you up. But don't be a chintzy cheapskate and just get me to buy you a free book because I kind of offered. Amen? Steinbeck, free hot dogs, six mile lines down the road. Hot dogs, a dollar each, 20 people show up. We all know how it works. Make the investment in your own soul, but if you can't, I will help hook you up because this is really important. Clear? Okay. So what I want to do this morning is um, 
If you go on the Calvary website, there's one of the little drop-downs. There's this thing called the Midweeks or the Midweeks with Pastor Rob. And for months, I've been doing a verse-by-verse exposition of the book of 1 Samuel, and hopefully we'll go through 2 Samuel. If you just like facts about the Bible and listening to somebody read Scripture really in-depth, there's a place you can go. I really enjoy doing this. But I want to revisit one of the stories that I've done recently because it's one of the Bible's great stories of an amateur peacemaker, a story about somebody who did not have official responsibility for the conflict that was arising, but took initiative to make peace and save lives. And I'm talking about the character of Abigail. Okay, Does anybody remember the story of Abigail? Does anybody have Abigail as a hero in their life? Thank you. Yeah, wonderful. Abigail, the amateur peacemaker. So good. I'm going to pray. Father God, I just ask for an extra anointing here. Lord, can you give me the curveball anointing? God, I've got a curveball. I want to hit this thing with the bat of your word. And so, Lord, would you do all the work in Jesus' name? God, you know we're a visual people, and we want to stare at something. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us where we don't have a visual And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to engage our imaginations and our hearts in this story so that we would really get what your word has for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to read. I'm going to make comment. It's going to ramble a bit more than I intended, but you're welcome, and hopefully that's a blessing. This is 1 Samuel 25, starting in verse 2. And there was a man of Maon whose business was in Carmel. That's a place in Israel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning, which means like wise, shrewd, able to evaluate situations and make good responses to it, and beautiful. But the man was harsh and badly behaved, and he was a Calebite. Okay, so we get this introduction here. We've got this scene. There's all these people shearing. It's a big production. Anybody know like the rich people in town? Can you? Okay, so who's the rich people in town? Just pick, but don't shout it out. But you know who they are, okay? This is them, okay? And I'm not saying like character-wise, but for the purpose of this story, everybody knows who the rich people are in town, and this is the story of that family. A badly behaved guy and his trophy wife, but a discerning one. Now David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent young men, and David said to his young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did, not, we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time that we were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. Now, this is the backdrop. This is younger King David, and he's on the run. 
You might remember David comes onto the scene in the book of 1 Samuel. He's um, killing Goliaths. He's singing songs. He's working for Saul. And he becomes super, super famous as Israel's top killing machine. He's the Navy SEAL of Navy SEALs. He's this unstoppable force. Whatever you put in his hand, everything that God doesn't like dies around him. And David has become very uh, famous. But as he grew in his prowess the current king Saul became very jealous and threatened and kept trying to kill David. And God had actually anointed David to become the next king, but David didn't want to become the next king by getting rid of Saul. But the more famous David became, the more threatened Saul became, and Saul was just trying to kill David. For chapters and chapters and chapters of this book, David was, Saul was after David, to the point where David had to run away from Saul and was in permanent hiding. And what happened was, as people heard that David was in hiding from Saul, people who also didn't have their lives going super well started clotting with David and scabbing onto him. So people who wanted to leave town because they had debts would go and hang out with David, who was already on the run. Or people who wanted to leave town because they had troubles and stuff like this, maybe they were the violent type, and so they would go and be like, well, I might as well go with David. And so David gathered around himself a force of about 600 men who were of differing allegiances, but were good at fighting and being led into battle with David. But this is his scenario. Now he's on the run, he's out hiding in the wilderness, and so his um, economy is a little bit strained, right? He's living in caves, there's no government checks coming his way, there's no him going to like the, the day workers market in some city because if people find out he's there, they're going to snitch on him to Saul and Saul's going to try to kill him again. So he's like literally hiding out in the middle of nowhere. It's just him in the woods in southeast Manitoba during fall time. Can you picture it? Like if you're walking through Sandylands and you find a camp. This is, the, this is them. And so what they've been doing is that they've kind of been guarding these flocks that are near where they've been hiding out. Because in those times, and if you read through the chapter, one of the things that was super common was that there was just raiding parties going on all the time along every border. So one day the Amalekites would come into Israel and just try to steal whatever they could get. And the next day the Philistines would come into Israel and try to steal everything they could get. Because you know what's easier than raising herds? Just stealing them. You know what's easier than raising crops? Just taking them. And all you have to do to steal them or take them is just kill a few people. Right? Maybe that makes COVID seem a little simplistic. Right now, we're not really worried that our friends in North Dakota are going to just be hustling over the border with their shotguns and leave like a Mennonite colony all dead and all their pigs gone. But that was normal. That was just a Tuesday in David's day here. And so what they've been doing is they've been pro providing um, private security for Nabal's workers for a while, without asking. Without just, they've just been doing it. And so when Nabal finally starts having his celebration and his um, 
it's like fall, it's their harvest time, they're shearing the sheep, they would be, have, it probably coincided with one of Israel's religious holidays, though they don't mention it here. David's thinking to himself, like, we've been protecting these guys, we've been de- being good neighbors, and so he wants to go and apply for some hospitality. And I think that in their culture, they would have known that this is fair deal, right? Good neighbors, in need, hospitality, and they go to apply for hospitality because they've been providing this needed service. Like, they needed bodyguards. And that's the background. When David, this is verse 9, when David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him this. Now this is a really big insult. And this is about as rude of a tude that he could share. He's, he's dissed David. He's called him just a runaway servant. He says, I don't know where you come from. I don't owe you anything. So he's like an Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas Eve. And this is David's response. Verse 13, And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about... 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. So, David provides this service. Nabal responds rudely. And now David is going to kill him. And David, I think, is experiencing here what some people have called fourth child syndrome. And this is how it works. If you, anybody who has or observes a large family, this is how it can work. Okay, this moms, you can sympathize with this a little bit. Maybe mom's working on something, working on a craft, working in the kitchen, whatever. First kid comes, mom, can I have a snack? No, it's 10 minutes till dinner. I'll give you, just, just wait. Okay, fine, peaceful. Second kid comes in one minute later, mom, I'm hungry, can I have a snack? No, it's 10 minutes till dinner, just, just wait. Kid goes off. 30 seconds later, third kid comes in. Mom, I really need a snack, and Johnny's a jerk. Mom takes a deep breath. No, it's 10 minutes till dinner. Can you just wait? I'm just working on it. Can't you see? I'm shucking the corn to go in the pot right now. And then finally, the fourth kid comes in. Mom, can I? Would you just leave me alone? Bah! True fact? Fourth kid didn't do anything different, right? But he got the guns. And I think this is what happened with David. He has been avoiding fighting with Saul for years. He's been betrayed by Saul. He's been attacked by Saul. He's had multiple spears thrown at him by Saul. He's been chased all over Israel by Saul. And he's just been running away and hiding and trusting the Lord. And then there's this one moment where this jerk face Nabal insults him after this guy has been protecting the lives and the sheep of him for weeks maybe, and he's done. 
I can't kill Saul. Verse 14. But one of the, here comes our, the, the, the peacemaker extraordinaire. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. So this young man is confirming this testimony of David. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we were with them. Normal was to get robbed and attack all the time, but with David, nothing was missing. They were a wall to us, both by day and by night, all the while we were keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. So technically, the first peacemaker would be this young man who sees this trouble coming and responds to it by going and seeking out Abigail. Now, here's Abigail. In one sense, she's the mistress of the house, but she's not Nabal, and she's not David, but she knows that there's this very serious collision course getting ready to happen, and so she takes action as an amateur peacemaker. Verse 18, and she sets a good example for us all. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine. Just as a little note, usually wine doesn't help with the peacemaking, but in this case there's an exception. And five sheep already prepared and five seahs, which are large measures of parched grain, and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. And she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down towards her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow was in the wil- sorry, has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belongs to him. So this is how you read this story. Abigail believes the testimony of her young man, and she understands that there is a catastrophe coming her way because she knows who David is. Like I said before, he's the Navy SEAL of Navy SEALs. He's an absolute unstoppable killing machine, and she knows that her idiot husband has totally told him off. Note to, note, to, note to everybody, don't go around talking about your idiot husband unless your husband is in the Bible called an idiot, okay? I can say that because God said it, but don't just get in the habit of doing that. When she comes to meet David, she's absolutely right about how bad it is because before the Bible didn't tell us what David was thinking, but now... David's been on the road stewing about all this stuff, and you can hear his thought pattern, and he is really mad. Because he has suffered this, this insult 
this evil for good thing. And he's even making this vow in his heart. And you can tell how bad the vow is in verse 22 because this is the one place in Scripture that I know that gets as close to swearing as that somebody does in the Bible. If you have a King James version of this, I think it says something like, God do so to the enemies of David and more if by morning I leave so much as one person who pisses against a wall or urinates against a wall. Something like that. So he doesn't actually say man in the Bible. He says, God, get my enemies. If I leave one wall pisser left of all these people. Okay, that's what it says. (laughs) You're welcome. Kids, ask permission from your parents before you adopt that phraseology. But it's meant to give us an insight where he's at. Okay? Let's press pause. This is David. This is King David. This is worshiping God David. This is man after God's own heart David. This is the sweet singer of songs David. This is the long-suffering, on-the-run David. This is... Godly David. This is spends all his time in prayer, David. This is give me a heart like David, David. This is let me dance like David, David. This is let me know you like David knew you, David. This is oh, may we all be like David, David. True? Right? This is our hero. Like, I wish I could be like David, David. Anybody ever wanted to be like David? Not on this day. This is one of the things that's just good to remember. Everybody has their worst day. This isn't even David's worst day. And someday we're all going to need a peacemaker. Someday we're all going to need a peacemaker. Because probably all of us are going to have to kill somebody. This is hero David. And he was ready to murder an entire family's worth of men. Murder. Like, read the story. He's ready to kill every single guy he finds. And we're talking dozens of people. Like this is, a, this is a factory, not just a family. There are thousands of animals, which means there are probably hundreds of men. And David has told his Navy SEALs not one of them sees nightfall. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey, which is a sign of humility, and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground, which is a sign of humility. 
and fell at his feet and said, On me alone, O Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal for all his, for his name is, sorry, as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. So Nabal's name means fool. And again, I don't know what had to happen for this guy's parents to name him idiot stick. Like, I'm not sure what, but they had different cultures back then. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving by your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to your young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil should not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the lives of your enemies he should, sorry, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over evil, Israel, excuse me, My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And this is essentially what she's saying. She goes there with um, a soft speech. Like Proverbs, I think it's 15 once, says a soft tongue turns away wrath. She gives the Whoa, 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 David, whoa, David, whoa, David. Like, she takes, she even overtakes responsibility where she says, you know, I, I should have caught your servants. I should have been the one taking care of this because my husband's an idiot. Which again, I wouldn't make a habit of, but it helps in the moment, David, to, to have somebody sympathizing with him because David sure thinks Nabal is not very wise at this moment. She hands over all this stuff to, as like the recompense, what David deserved. And she really appeals to him in the name of the Lord. David, the Lord is saving you from committing this act of vengeance. David, the Lord is going to protect you and fulfill his promises for you. David, the Lord is going to keep you from having a future of regret. And when all this stuff takes place, remember your servant, because I'm here to help. And I would encourage you to study this passage. It's, it's richer than I have time for this morning, but it is a master class in like hostage negotiation. It's a master class in it of wise speech, of pointing people to the Lord, of intervening with action, of admitting wrong, and trying to bring out the best in people in a terrible situation. Well, David responds in verse 32, and David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord. So all of a sudden, you know, one second ago, he's calling down covenants, like these guys are all dead or else God's going to, but in the name of the Lord. And now he's blessing the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you 
this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt, from avenging myself with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there would not have been left to, to Nabal as much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. David has his own part to play here, which is to be somebody who's willing to listen to reason. to be willing to listen to somebody who's coming to intervene for the sake of the Lord. And that's a good thing. That's where where David is commendable here. And I like how he says, go up into your house in peace. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. And David takes on the role of the servant here. He's the obedient one. He's the one who's giving this woman of discretion, all of her desires. So he's, he's come back to his senses. He's come back to his humility. And I think that, you know, as much as I can say all of us have this responsibility or this call from the Lord to be peacemakers, I think also all of us have this responsibility from the Lord to value the peacemakers who come to us. Amen. Do you guys remember how this story ends? With like divine aneurysm? Abigail comes back from saving everybody's lives and Nabal's having this like drunken party. It says like he's feasting like a king, which is ironic, right? He's just insulted the future king so that he can have more stuff and his wife goes out and uh, saves his life from becoming David's sheath. Amen. Guys, any of us know that we often don't deserve our, our ladies? Yeah. And she doesn't say anything about it because he's all messed up anyways. But in the morning, she tells him what happened. He, he wakes up and he's probably like, oh, you know, hungover. She's like, hey, I had an interesting day yesterday. Oh, I don't want to hear about it. No, I think you do. Oh, what happened? Well, I went for a little ride on my donkey. Oh, what? What were you, you left? Like, where'd you go? We had so much work here. Why'd you go? Well, I had to go meet somebody. Really? I bet it was a man. Oh, yeah, it was a man, actually. Yeah. Go ahead, be jealous. Yeah, it was a man. Well, what was that all about? Unfaithful wench. 
No, 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 I was being faithful. Yeah, he, it's King David. He, he was coming to kill you guys, like all of you. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember how you told him off the other day? Yeah, the other day. Yeah, he was going to just murder you all. And he was probably going to make it take a while and enjoy it. Because he was really mad. He mentioned about going medieval on somebody or something like that. But, but it's okay. I just took all that food we were going to have for lunch today, gave it to them, and it's all good. And uh, Scripture says that Nabal had like a heart attack or something. And he lasted for about 10 days and then he died. And there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on there because God wanted to encourage David that David didn't need to fight for himself with Saul. And Abigail went from being the husband of uh, Nabal to marrying David and becoming a queen, essentially. And that didn't mean her life was all okay because she does get kidnapped in a couple of chapters, but... God wanted to promote his amateur peacemaker. That's what happened. God wanted to promote his amateur peacemaker. And he did. I think all of us can look to stuff in the last couple of years and probably maybe wish we had been better at peacemaking as Christians. I know I, I can, definitely. And so I really want to call us to this skill, this spiritual skill, as something that we invest in in ourselves and invest in the Lord with because it will you will be rewarded for the rest of your life for growing in this kind of stuff in your heart in your home in your workplace in your church in your influences imagine a world full of Abigails we can imagine a world full of Nabals and Davids We can imagine families full of Nabals and Davids. Why don't we pray? Ben can start coming up. I'm just going to pray a blessing over us in the gospel. Father God, you know that nobody can even come to you apart from the work of the great peacemaker, Jesus. And Lord, you know each one of us does not live up to, to uh, all that Christ has accomplished in the cross. Jesus, you know that Abigail came to David with food and cakes and raisins. But for the last 2,000 years, you've been going to your Father with your own shed blood as a nonstop high priest interceding with the gift of your own righteousness for the sake of your people.
saying, Father, forgive again. Father, be at peace again. Father, bear longer again. Father, replace sin with a blessing again for my name's sake. Father, remove condemnation again. Father, endure again. And I pray, Father, that you would help us. Lord, would you forgive me for not being better at this? And for neglecting calling the church to this more. For my own sins and being a failure as a peacemaker. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take practical steps to become excellent in these things. To grow like Abigail and Jesus, who took initiative to make peace, who found ways to have soft speech to make peace, and for, like David, to be willing to listen for the sake of peace. I pray, Lord, you do a miracle for your church's sake. And now, Father, I really want to pray. We need the blood. Greg, do we need the blood? We need the blood. Father, would you forgive us for being cultural Christians where we forget that, as my wife so helpfully reminded me, we're all, Christ- we're all hypocrites in everything we do because nobody can endure a minute without the blood of Christ on us. We need the blood. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us to rejoice in the cross of Jesus. go to work under the blood to face these divisions in our culture under the blood of Jesus to be bearing up under division in our families under the blood of Jesus and help us to do our part in Jesus name amen